Hey guys, my guests this week are Lou Resnick and Nate Ziney, the drummer and guitarist vocalist of The Sink or Swim, who I got hooked up with through friend of the podcast and nonstop hustler Sam DeCross, you might remember from an earlier episode. Nate and Lou were really cool guys, moved here from Ohio together uh, not too long ago, just a couple years ago, and really hit the ground running, establishing themselves in the music scene. I, I had a lot to learn from them, honestly, about just being confident and setting yourself up for success. Uh, they let me preview their new album, Oasis Unknown, which is coming out January 20th next year. Some really cool tunes on there. The type of album I probably would have played in high school to impress girls and make them think I was really interesting. Uh, so that gives you the idea, I guess, of what might be on it. But in the meantime, listen to this, relax, and enjoy the sink or swim. Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machete. I've got Lou Resnick and Nate Ziney from the Sink or Swim with me. How you doing, guys? Good, great. Fantastic. <laughs> so we are chilling at Cartel. The music's a little bit loud, but like you said, at least it's good. Speaking of good music, so you guys, that was a fucking terrible transition. <laughs> that was so bad. I'm going to leave that in to shame myself later. <laughs> so, uh, Speaking of which. <laughs> you guys do have an album coming up, which is kind of why I, I wanted to, to try this again right now. So we'll jump around a little bit in time, but I am kind of curious. Starting from that process, like what made you guys decide that now is the time to release, you know, a full, a full album? Well, it is a five song, so basically we want to make sure that we're releasing music consistently. Like we don't want to go six months without something. In 2016, we released uh, the Fish Out of Water EP and the High Tides EP, right. so that spread throughout the year pretty well. And then so far this year, we released three singles, being Arizona, Dopamine, and Life After Midnight. But we wanted this to be a 2018 album so we could, you know, push that and hopefully tour on it. So that's going to be early. January 20th is when it's going to come out. So we're hoping to ride that and then release probably more stuff later in the year. We just want a consistent flow. So how do you feel that out? I mean, how do you space that out? Because I know, like you said, you did the both EPs in 2016. I saw that. And then you kind of just peppered in some singles and stuff. Is it more so when you guys just feel like you have a solid set to, to put onto an album? Or how does that work? Well, I think it's just kind of something we we sort of play by ear. Like Lewis said previously, I mean, we like to have a consistent flow of music going. But you just kind of eventually get to this point, whether you're writing or releasing music, where it's like, oh, shit, I haven't put anything out there in a minute. You kind of start getting the fever for it. You jones for it, I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And it just felt like the right time. We met some people that we thought we could do a good job collaborating with on this record. We recorded it with a guy named Mike Bolenbach and a guy named Colby. What's Colby's last name? Colby Peoples. Colby Peoples. How do I forget something like that? But yeah, I'm at Fullwell Recording Studios, which is actually, he has this big shed behind his house over by the fairground off of McDowell and the, and I think 19th Avenue. Yep. And I mean, it was a really cool studio and it just felt right when we went to go tour it. And he's a really laid back guy. He kind of lets you do things your own way. He lets you explore the creative process in a way that works for you and he's very loose on rules and just like guidelines and just wants you to feel comfortable and it just felt right. We did this pre-order campaign 
where we sold vinyl and t-shirts and CDs and other weird things like we can make you steak dinner and play putt-putt with you and all this yeah. stuff and we were able to raise some money to get this record recorded and it just felt like the right time. I, I want to go back and talk a little bit later on about merch marketing and all that stuff because I did see that and you guys were really hustling on that and I was, thought that was really interesting. So I, I do want to get back to that but let's focus on the album a little bit. What do you feel like makes this album unique from what you guys have done before? Like what, what's changed since the last time you guys put music out? Well, this is the first record that has Derek on it, so that's one thing, and he wrote some of the songs. And, yeah, and other than that, I mean, the production quality difference, and basically the first two EPs we did, we had, like, a sound engineer more so than a producer. Mike Bullenbach really, you know, he he had ideas. He's like, I think that this echo box would sound great here, like, this guitar would sound great, and just the use of gear, like, he had so much good vintage gear, and the way he tracked drums was like the same consistently. I didn't have to bring in my kit and mic it. He has a kit with fresh heads tuned perfectly, mic perfectly. So I just think sonically it came together so much better than the past records. Yeah, definitely more consistent as far as just overall production quality. And each song definitely changed while we were right, or recording it in the studio from where it had been originally written. Just, I don't know, the overarching theme of this album seems more consistent than our last work. Would you guys consider yourself very technically minded musicians then? I mean, because I know some people are just like, you just need a pawn shop guitar and the fucking music, man. But you guys seem to be kind of preoccupied with the technical side of things. I think we were kind of somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when you're making a record, tones are everything, you know? Yeah. It's like a lot of people will have a kind of shitty tone and then try to go back into the computer and doctor it up and make it sound better and put all these delays and reverbs and it ends up just sounding cloudy and messy and staticky. But what we really try to do is dial in the tones perfectly so that what you hear coming out of the amp is what you're hearing on the record and there's not really very much of a difference at all. Like all the compression is done beforehand. All of the effects processing is done beforehand so that it's an organic real sound and you don't have a bunch of static. But I mean I'll play anything really. I'm not super picky. Obviously I have my rig set up that's ideal. Sure. But I mean if you hand me a guitar I'll play it. It's not. Yeah, like as far as being technical goes, we're not like a progressive band or some band that's doing crazy time signatures and stuff, but we definitely like care about the tightness of the songs and the fluidity between songs and yeah like the, as he said the overall theme of the record it seems to sonically have this nighttime night drive vibe and that's kind of what we were going for and yeah like we did basically everything analog so all the guitar tones they were like recorded that way we don't have digital patches over top of things and like the delay is raw delay like we use like a tape delay and we didn't None of it's digital really like there was there any digital stuff I don't remember I don't believe so no, except maybe just like a little bit of vocal effects processing, maybe adding some gain here and there. And I believe on one of the songs, we added a little bit of guitar distortion to my voice, but I don't think we used an actual guitar pedal. I think we used something in the DAW. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I like the way that it turned out. Yeah, so overall, though, we went analog this time, which was nice. And this is also the first time we have keys on a record as well, and we were able to use a Hammond B3 organ with a Leslie speaker, which ended up making a really cool effect. Super um, spacious sounding. Who's we, playing keys? Uh, Derek and I both play keys on the record. Um, Derek did most of the 
groundwork on the key. He, we have Rhodes as well, which is like a piano. It's hard to explain what a Rhodes is. It's like a piano that has pickups in it, basically, and it makes this really chimey sort of doors kind of sounding piano effect. And Derek did, I believe, all of the Rhodes, and then we split up the Hammond B3 organ between the two of us. So speaking of that theme a little bit more, so I, I, yeah, I've seen you guys describe it as ideal music that you can play like with the windows down in a car driving at night when you are tackling this was that your image from the beginning like you said I want to release an album like this or was it I want to release an album let's find a theme for it well we had written a lot of songs before we had recorded this album you know we probably had been gigging with about 10 new tracks and we just kind of picked the five that we thought fit really well together and We thought about it from beginning to end. It starts with Queen Colleen, which has a driving drum beat, and it has a more upbeat guitar tone, and it's dirtier sounding. And then it goes to Life After Midnight, which has that guitar hook. It like brings you right in at the beginning. And then Reason to Leave is kind of like a slower, more croony song. And then it goes even slower with a Winter Clothes, but it still has this sort of rock and roll you know, sound behind it, almost a little bit of southern rock influence. And then we cap it all off with Full Moon, which just seemed to be the right song to exit the record with. I mean, it's a nighttime thing. The last song is Full Moon, and it kind of leaves you the outro guitar solo in the last chorus, like with kind of a nostalgic feeling. And it, to me, it makes me want to start the record over again. You know what I mean? It's like a good place to press repeat. <laughs> right, and so it's like you're peeling out of the parking lot, getting through town, hitting the highway, then you're parking the car on the side of the cliff and, and chilling out there. Exactly. It's doing, the fall doing whatever it is these kids do on the side <laughs> of the highway these days. Oh my goodness gracious. Talked about um, kind of incorporating Derek into this record now. So I noticed that he was from Ohio with you guys basically, right? So you guys initially came over just the two of you and, and met up with Neil. So tell me a little bit about that journey. Like what brought you out to Arizona? So me and Nate, were, we met in fourth grade and we were in the same class and we, like, I got my drums right when he got his guitar. Okay. And, like we still have the same drums and guitar now. So, you know, we, Derek was actually in my younger brother's grade and they were best friends since like kindergarten. So he was just always like at the house nice. and he was kind of like a prodigy, <laughs> especially back then. He was so like ahead of his years. And so we just, you know, a- attached to him and we had like two different bands between then and high school. And me and Nate just, like, we went to different colleges in Ohio, but we coincidentally dropped out at the same time. His mom and brother were living out here because his brother was going to ASU. So we originally were like, let's move to L.A. and try to make a band. But it was kind of our way to get west and have reason to, like, do so- and not just throw ourselves into something and be like, what the hell are we doing? So we had a place to stay at first while we got jobs and, like, got on our feet. And then we met Neil through Twitter and he was 16 and we were like 19 or 20 at the time so it was kind of like i wonder how this is going to go but people think he looks the oldest he plays like he's he has like the skill of like a 40 year old so i don't it, it didn't affect it at all and basically we grinded it out as a three piece for like the first year and a half two years and then Derek came out to visit because he was coincidentally dropping out of school and he played a show with us in flagstaff and it, it worked pretty well so he ended up deciding to make the move out, and now, yeah, we all have a house together in Tempe, and it's really nice. So what did that initial Twitter conversation look like? Was it just one of those things where you're just like, hey, is there going to be no bassist, and like somebody tags somebody, and I live yeah, out there? Yeah, name drop a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'll right? name it. So I, I uh, posted, like, looking for bassist, yeah. guitarist, keys. Like, we didn't even know what we wanted at the time. <laughs> we just wanted to, like, jam like, with people. Please help. 
<laughs> yeah, and Megan from the band Dollskin actually DM'd me and was like, hey, I know this kid who is like super good at bass and his band just broke up. So she referred me to Neil and I was just like, hey man, we just moved into town and I heard that you're really good and looking to be in a band. And he said he was kind of weirded out at first, and like the fir- but the first day we like showed him the songs, he got it instantly, and it's, from there on it was like a no-brainer. That's always comforting to see when those things actually pan out, because like you see that all the time with people. I'm just like, does that ever actually lead to anything? Yeah. Right on. All right. So when you guys started to to gig together and stuff down here, feeling each other out, you guys it sounds like you already had some stuff written from your old band that you were bringing into town. Is that it? No, it was all new stuff. Okay. We didn't carry over anything. So yeah, when we moved here, Nate was writing all the songs up until Derek joined. Now it's like pretty split. But everything on any anything we've released is was written in Arizona. So what kickstarted it, do you feel like? I mean, was there anything that you feel like motivated you when you were in Arizona that was like kind of changing things up for you? Were you exploring anything new? Well, I think we kind of hit the ground running. I moved out here a few weeks before Lewis did because he was still kind of on the fence about everything when I first initially made the move out here. I had recorded a couple things on my laptop, like a couple things I'd been working on when I was still in college about to drop out, getting back into, you know, really starting to write all of the time. And then I believe I sent Lewis some of the stuff and he liked it. And we just kind of started talking more and more about how this was actually a possibility. And then one day he was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm coming out here. So by the time he got out here, we already had had all of this in mind and already had had the ball rolling, already had started writing songs. So there wasn't really like a process of like, oh, we need to get our shit together. We just kind of already had things going when he initially moved out here. And it didn't take us very long to get the ball rolling at all. I mean, even before we met Neil, Lewis and I were out, you know, going to venues and trying to figure out where we could play. And we were performing on the street and playing anywhere we can. I remember like when we first started, we were playing outside of Joe's Grotto. Yeah, I, I remember. Bring this up. Yeah. yeah, and then this dude came up to us and he was like, oh, Lou and Nate, like, I know you guys. <laughs> like, we hadn't played a show yet, like, yeah, but we nice. street performed like every night, so. Yeah, so at that point we were like, okay, like, this is cool, we can do this, like, we've, we're getting our feet in the door, and yeah, like I said, we just kind of hit the ground running from the get-go, we didn't really waste any time. So what did that actually tangibly look like for you guys when you were, we were just kind of making those opportunities for yourself? Because I think that's something that intimidates people who are trying to, to get started, you know, it's just like, where do I go, like, how do I find a spot for it like what was you guys thought process how did you get in a, in the doors anyway well basically you know i mean we chose the band name the sink or swim because it literally was we're gonna sink or swim it was like an all or nothing move when we moved out here so with that in mind and we were we just knew it was kind of like all right, we're not gonna move out here and not it was our why we moved out here so it was the only thing that mattered and i mean yeah we would go to mill ave like old town we would look up what shows were happening that night and like try to street perform near that area because we think people might like us and you know like we had a thousand facebook likes by the time we played two or three shows and it was just like it just came down to caring enough to actually like go out and meet people and connect with people and like we would go out and street perform with i remember we bought a banner week one and we would hang it behind us it said the sink or swim so people could at least like put a name to the face and like he'd play acoustic guitar and sing and i'd play the box room cajon thing and sometimes we'd get groups of 50 people dancing and like rapping around us and we'd like let them freestyle rap over top of us and sometimes we would take cover like whatever people requested and it just kind of built itself up and i mean also at the early stages i was like looking really deep into the phoenix media like like those articles that come up 
20 bands to watch this year and yeah. all those things and you know following them and connecting with them and just taking the steps that I find to be pretty obvious I don't know whatever industry you're entering you know you have to put yourself in it you have to immerse yourself in what you're doing or it's not going to happen so. so I mean what did those first couple gigs feel like I mean is there is there ever a feeling of not sure you're ready for it. I mean, I know you guys were playing a little bit in Ohio already, but... Oh, was... we sucked. <laughs> we were horrible. I mean, the first few shows we played, we had... Because we had just started, you know, writing for this band, and we started playing shows really quickly. We didn't really take a lot of time to, like, put together a record. That's probably my biggest regret in all of this. I mean, it hasn't affected us negatively in any way. But I kind of wish that we would have sat on our music for a little bit and tried to, like, make a really good first EP before we started playing shows just so that we had something to push and promote we were a little bit tighter because these were the first songs we had all written together and I remember like do you remember playing like old song three we had a song called yeah. old song three and on our first <laughs> record we have new song three which is where that came from and I just remember we had like three original songs that we played at our first show and two covers and that was our whole set and we just weren't really good I mean we we just started playing with each other so we hadn't really learned how everyone else reacted with each other that's the biggest thing now is we know how everyone in our band plays and we can feed off of each other's strengths and weaknesses and you know even if we're not a hundred percent solid we know how to get through it because we know what the other people are going to do basically and at that point we just didn't know how each other played well enough we didn't practice enough it wasn't great but it was fun I mean it was really fun I had a really good time. Is that just a matter of time, just finding that identity between you guys, or is it you just really have to find the right people? How do you how do you make those connections? I mean, when you say the right people, do you mean like to book or like to be in a band with? To be in a band with, I guess you know what, what you're talking about with you know finding that kind of musical identity and stuff for yourself, finding how to play off of each other. Do you think you could do that with anybody, or do you think it could only be Derek and Niall to make this work? I mean, I think this is perfect. I wouldn't really want anyone else to like replace anyone in the band. So I don't think it's impossible to make a band with like other people, but it just kind of like worked. And like, as I said, we've known each other since we were kids. Nate and I are like 10 days apart and like, we've always just had like chemistry. And I feel like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick another bassist in the scene over Neil. Like I wouldn't, like there's nothing I would want to change. And we're all good friends, too. I mean, on top of just, like, being a band and being together, it's like we hang out together every single day. Like, if we're not doing anything music-related, we're still hanging out, you know, watching <laughs> movies and playing video games and stuff like that. So I just think the fact that we can connect to each other on a personal level, we like to go out and do things together. It's more than just being in a band. We're friends and, like, a family, so... I think that makes it easier to write too. I mean, whenever any of us have an idea, all of us are really open to it and willing to help each other out and, you know, give suggestions constructively without, you know, hurting someone's feelings. Like you might not be crazy about what someone's doing with a song idea, but you realize that it has potential and it's coming from a place that's personal to them and it has the potential to be good if you can work out some kinks. And we just try to approach it as friends and be as open-minded as possible. Compromise for sure. And I mean, something must be going well. You guys seem to click pretty easily, and you're the first parkour band in Arizona from what I saw in an Oh interview. yeah, we are the first parkour band in Arizona. <laughs> What's the deal behind that? Nate can answer that one. <laughs> Let me think. <laughs> I think it kind of speaks for itself, and it's something you just have to witness. I can't explain it. It's a deity. 
It's an entity that is bigger than myself or anyone else in this band, and it just is and always will be. I mean, I haven't seen you guys live. It's just peppered with just wall runs and flips and all that. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, not so much, but we like to, you know, it's a, it's a work in progress. So at the time, we just, we wanted to be the, a parkour band, so I think we just kind of said we were. Yeah, I don't think there's actually any validity behind us being a parkour band. It's just something we say. That's right, I'll cut that but part out. No, I mean, we live by it. Keep it in there. I need people to know. We are well, a parkour band. Well, I'll cut out the part where you deny that you actually know any parkour. Okay. But the rest of it is, is going to go down in legend. But so, I mean, that idea of kind of the, the showmanship of it, though, I know is really important. I, I've heard you guys have a fantastic live show. I mean, how, how important is just kind of being a strong live presence to you? And what do you guys do to prepare for that? I would say that 50 per... Okay. Being in a band, I would say... 50% of it is writing and recording songs, 35% of it is the live show, and 15% of it is how you present yourself on online. And, you know, we put just as much effort into those parts. Like, the live show is, that's what people might see you for the first time. So, like, you want it to stick. Like, you, you want them to remember it, and you want to connect with them. So, we just try to, like play as well as we can and like talk to the crowd and like make people feel like they're a part of it because they are like without the, the energy of the audience like we feel like we're at practice so yeah and I think like we don't have any bells and whistles you know it's not like we have a crazy light show or pyrotechnics or not guar. yeah we don't we're not guar we don't have any acrobats like juggling fish heads or something <laughs> at our concert but I mean we just try to bring it every single time like have a couple shots or a couple beers before so you get loosened up feel really nice and confident and you just kind of lay it all out there i mean we're all really energetic when we're playing live we're all over the place we get our cables tangled up and fall into each other and bleed and sweat and i think it just translates like if you don't care about what you're doing when you're playing a show people aren't going to care like last night for example we played this show at tempe center for the arts and for me it's just easier when I'm in a place that's dark and there's a lot of faces and I'm not like, oh, here's these three people I know and then these two people I know because it just has this sense of like, I'm just this guy playing awkwardly to this small crowd of people and it's not as easy, or not as easy for me rather to just like let loose and be funny and be fun than if there's a big crowd of people and I can't really see their faces. So it's definitely a lot about, you know, the environment and the atmosphere. Like you have to play certain gigs just for money because we have to make money and we have to get by and we have to survive. But for me, it's about, you know, the bigger shows with more people late at night when we can really unwind and be ourselves. And then when we do put on these shows where, you know, we're kicking our feet and jumping around and, you know, playing super energetically, people seem to connect to that a lot more. So you kind of have to be disconnected from you, Nate, playing guitar. Like you right. can't, yeah. Right. It's just we're here, we're doing it, and have fun. Like if you're not having fun, the people in the crowd are not going to be having fun. Yeah. So how do you feel like you guys have, like would define your audience? I mean, that's a tough thing to do from the stage, I know. But like, what what do you feel like makes uh, the average sink or swim fan? I mean, it seems to hit all ages, and you know, like we we normally do all age shows because we have. A lot of fans who are like in high school, but we also seem to connect with, you know, like everyone's dad loves us, I would say. Like, like anyone who appreciates rock music thinks that our sound is refreshing. And, you know, it really could be anyone. And, you know, we have songs, you know, like Glass Eyes that are like a heavy rock song in your face. And then we have a song like The Delay, which is like slower and more like 
emotional, I'd say. And literally everyone that we ask has a different favorite song, which I think is a good thing because it means that, you know, we can connect to more people. And I really, I think for a band, it's easier to not be able to define your average fan because it, it can connect with everyone. So I really don't know who are, what, how to describe our average fan. An open-minded person who wants to have a good time. Like that, like that. Yeah, no, I, I did notice, like, I was listening to the songs you guys have released so far, and it was kind of hard to put my finger on what I would call you guys, because, I mean, it's you can definitely see the southern influences and stuff in, in some of the things that you did, but then there are some songs that sound like straight Ben Folds almost. That, it's really okay. interesting, yeah. Revolving Doors, I think, was one that I was getting kind of a Ben Folds vibe. I don't know. Maybe like I'm just an idiot. Right on. Uh, but that is something I did see in an article that you guys like have influences that I would not have expected for like big ones, like Jeff Lynne from ELO. Oh, yeah. That's that's nuts to me. Jeff like, Lynn's a genius. How do you incorporate that into your stuff? <laughs> I think it's subconscious. I don't think it's like I'm gonna try to write a song that sounds like you know Jeff Lynne mixed with Roger Waters mixed with Paul McCartney or something like right. that. It's just like I think everything that you listen to on a daily basis definitely influences you in your writing. Especially that's why I think all of us are just really into people who are good songwriters and like fantastic at you know the craft of writing. That's why someone like Jeff Lynne, for example, just the things he did, the things that came out of his own mind, like he wrote all of those parts for all of those songs. He wrote all the string lines, he produced it. you know he did a lot of really, really innovative stuff, and I think just like paying attention to the details within the music and like what's written between the lines and the spaces between the notes is super important, just the way he does transitions and other people of that caliber of songwriting. And I think we just try to not emulate what they're doing, but take what they're doing and add it to what our what we're doing, I guess. I don't know. Is that pretty much a similar idea to like Arctic Monkeys and Red Hot Chili Peppers and stuff? I saw those are also guys that you put on there. Yeah, like Arctic Monkeys are my favorite band and like Neil's are a huge Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. So, I mean, I feel like we all have styles on our instruments of our favorite bands. Like I kind of think I drum, like, like the ideas that come to me are like similar to an idea that like would go come from like Matt Helder's mind and Arctic Monkeys or something. But I'm not like ripping his drum parts or something, you know, but it's like, I think we all definitely like play like our influences, but when it comes to writing, yeah, like as Nate was saying, it's about like the spaces between the notes and I don't know, like we really avoid obvious part. I don't know, like I just feel like a lot of music these days is like da 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 like this like chugging and it's just these obvious parts that like don't take thought and it's just like play the note and get through it and we try to really like make the instruments complement each other and and so it's like cohesive at the end. The, the final product needs to sound like something fresh and something good. But yeah, like our influences, just I would say it is subconscious. It's just how we play. So then how do you guys, when you're writing and recording, uh, communicate as a band? How do you guys put things into each other's terms? I know you guys have known each other for a long time. You probably have a good shorthand, but I know you already talked a little bit about compromise. What is it actually like when you're trying to make something cohesive between the four of you? Well, usually one person will have the idea initially, and they'll play it with a guitar. Usually Derek, Neil, or myself will have our guitar and we'll play it and sing it for the band. And then we give each other a lot of leeway. I mean, it kind of just like, it's trusting the people that you're involved with. And when we're in the studio or practicing for the studio uh, at our house beforehand, the people just kind of get what you're going for, you know? It's like Neil 
knows what to play on the bass. Lewis knows what to play on the drums. Derek knows what to play on the guitar and knows what harmony to sing. And if there's something that's really bothering you or it's like, well, maybe what if we try this instead? This is more what I had going in my mind. Then everyone is also open to do that and open to try it as well. So basically like the person that has the initial idea and it's their song more or less has the final say in things, but we're usually pretty happy with what the other people contribute to the band and it helps makes the song what it is. It turns it from a Nate song into a The Sink or Swim song and they're different songs at the end of the day. Transitions come into play like Lewis will come up with a transition because he's the drummer and he knows the backbone of the song so it's what if right here we slowed it down and did this or what if here we went double time and like oh yeah that's a really good idea let's try that and then it usually just you know it's like a snowball effect. Okay, so the answer is just magic comes together with yeah, you trust, guys work together, trust yeah. the people that you're working with I mean if you don't then you probably shouldn't be working with them love it love it okay so let's talk a little bit about the recording process though since you guys have a couple EPs under your belts and stuff by now what does it look like when you guys are going into a studio together so typically like the past records we've done over the course of like like you know eight hour sessions like five days in a row or something and this time it was over the course of two months we went in like sporadically for four hour sessions so we had a lot longer to like sit on things and if we wanted to change something we were able to like go back and be like hey we want to like retract that guitar part or like we don't like how the vocals turned out so yeah working at full well was great because of those four hour sessions no one's drained at that like eight hour days are hard and by the end of it even the producers like done and so for us you know drums come first we lay like a scratch track um to like to a click and so I have something to hear and play along to so I know where I am in the song. And then I record like the final drums first and then Neil will lay bass and then we'll do guitars, vocals, and then like keys and extra stuff, delay things and effect stuff will come at the end sometimes. But basically it just goes drums, bass, guitar, vocals, and then extra stuff. So like I did my drum parts in a day or two and then I basically just got to hang out and critique everything everyone else did the rest of the time. <laughs> Uh, do you guys always have to go in with a plan, or, or do you try to keep things up in the air? I know you said you kind of changed things as you went along. We developed, we told Mike what we wanted to do, and he kind of sent us like a mock schedule of dates that he, and like what he wanted to do on those dates, and um, we ended up tweaking it a little to get what we needed done at the right times, but yeah, we stuck to a pretty good schedule, and I mean, yeah, like as we went, we, things would come up. Like, I don't think we thought that we were going to put Rhodes and Hammond, Oregon, on the like on reason to leave for example but you know it just developed into that and sound sounds way better than just guitar so it definitely evolves in the studio like every, every if, if your songs don't evolve in the studio like you might as well record them at home on garage band <laughs> Like that. So what about like the marketing and stuff that came along with that? As you guys knew this was coming up, I know you're having the album release, you talked a little bit about stuff that you did. How do you guys approach your social media presence, that type of thing? Basically, you know, this time around, I really wanted to have a theme and like a cohesive vibe to the record because, I mean, in the past, like I, I'm not angry or upset with how we've done things, but we have had inconsistencies and like you know, like reused photos and for promos and things. And we used Hamster Labs, Quinn Murphy. He's like a local guy who he's just a god at what he's he does. Fantastic. So, you know, we kind of have, he did a, an old poster for us. And after that and seeing his work, um, we kind of trusted him with this whole project. And, you know, he did the art for the CD, like the front and the back and like the CD itself. 
he designed the labels for the vinyl he hand printed the covers for the vinyl he did the art for the shirts the posters and it's just a one-stop shop for us but you know as far as like the online presence goes i just try to make sure that we're like you know active enough and things don't seem dull that's the same reason we try to release music consistently like you can't seem like you're not doing anything or else no one you'll fall off and a lot or of bands you won't be yeah so it literally we're just telling people what we're doing and trying to stay busy and um, yeah, like we had this pledge music pre-order campaign, and we had like 150 people pre-order different things, and we raised over like five thousand dollars to record. So it really like the fans made it possible, and it was a good way to get the money and connect with them, and like make sure people get the record because it wasn't just donate to our like GoFundMe. It was you're pre-ordering our record too, so it was kind of like two birds with one stone, and you know everyone who pre-ordered got it a month early. So it just we try to like do things that engage people so yeah, that's sick. I know that you guys also seem to do a lot to try and engage other bands and stuff too like you do a lot to put the word out about other people that you work with and stuff so I mean how important is that to you guys is that something that you always done or did you just find some people here you really like to work with or? no it's kind of just a common courtesy thing I mean yeah. we're all in this together that's the thing we've been in scenes before where it seems more competitive and cutthroat and everyone is kind of out for themselves but in phoenix it seems like everyone supports each other a lot we have a lot of people from other bands who come and see our shows and we try to reciprocate that as much as possible i mean we could be better at it definitely and that's something that this coming year i definitely want to make sure that i'm at everyone's show all the time and just showing support but yeah it's just like building up the community it's like if you're coming to people's shows they're going to come to your shows and then everyone's shows will be bigger and then there's more buzz around the phoenix music scene and then it's more likely to get attention from outside places other than phoenix and we just all try to support each other and be there for each other so i know that the the initial goal was to make phoenix kind of a pit stop on the way to move further west is that still the intention for you guys are you going to be developing the phoenix scene a little bit longer yeah, our lease is up in March, and we have to make that decision, but oh, I think for right now it's seeming pretty evident that we'll stay here for a while, because if we drop this record January 20th and we dip out of town a month later, that would be pretty ignorant, and I mean, it's been really good to us. Like, people here like what we're doing, and I don't want to throw that away at all, and like, I've met a lot of really cool people, I like bands here, and we just need to start playing other places more. Like, we can live here and tour, so... You know, right now, like, we don't have a van, but we're in the process of getting one. So our goal next year is to definitely, like, be playing the west up the West Coast a couple times in 2018. But Arizona is definitely home right now. It just gets hard during the summertime because, like, we're hot as fuck and we can't go outside because our skin is going to melt off and become nothing. So during those few months, we're, like, always, like, fuck this. We're not doing this again. Like... <laughs> we've got to get out of here but then it passes and it's right now and it's beautiful out and you know we realize the overwhelming support and friendships that we've made in our stay at phoenix thus far it's just like i don't want to build this up to throw it away and it's it's like the sun, getting through the couple hot months we can we can deal with it and but it is it is hard i don't know how people do it like we all get like depressed and like don't want to do anything and like just like hide inside and crank the AC, pay like 400 bucks a month in electricity and like... Sounds about right. Yeah. So if you guys are considering, you know, this, this big decision coming up, I mean, what do you feel like is next after this album drops? You know, what comes next for The Sink or Swim? It's hard to say. It's like Lewis has been saying earlier, it's just baby steps, trying to put yourself in the position where you're in a better place today than you were yesterday, better place tomorrow than you were today. 
And I don't think any of us really know where this is going to take us. We're just putting in our dues and putting in the time and hoping that everything works out. I mean, we're definitely actively trying to put ourselves in a better position, but it's really hard to say where we're going to be in a year from now or two years from now. The next steps, I think, um, you know, we this album, we want, like, it's not even out yet, so, like, yeah. we hope that that will stick for a while, probably do some music videos, because we haven't really done a really good video yet. And like, three or four you have out right now, right? Yeah, like, we've done... We did like a wasted time thing when we were in Ohio. It was kind of a live video. And then we did Glass Eyes in Arizona. But I think we're going to definitely do like one or two off of this EP and go for like really high, like a high end video. And besides that, you know, we can start, you know, sending it off to labels and try to shop around and see if anyone's, if it sparks anyone's interest. Because this is the first time we've had a product that we're like proud enough of to like try to send it to labels just because of like the production quality we've been told before that our songs weren't radio quality and stuff like the recording so you know now we're in a place where we think we're able to try to approach the higher end side of this of the music industry and maybe see if anyone's into what we're trying to do and keep building the brand keep putting ourselves out there and connecting with new fans and yeah time will tell what happens but we're not stopping anytime soon Right on, I love it. It's a good place to kind of wrap up. I like to ask a couple questions at the end. You guys can answer like individually, however you want to tackle it. Okay. Just anybody else in the uh, the scene here, it doesn't have to be the music scene, just Phoenix in general, any other artists you want to give some recognition to? I'm going to give some recognition to two people. Um, first off, Brian Wiltbank. He's basically like our number one fan. He's a diehard. He comes to all of our big shows. I mean... Tattoo, right? Yeah, he has a tattoo of our band on his arm. He works long hours, and I know that he's usually pretty tired by the time he gets out, but he usually makes it out anyways, and he's just been very supportive and a very good friend, and I think we could count on him for a lot of stuff. It's been nice to have his support. And also a man by the name of Jim Murray. I don't know if you know um, Jam, Jam Now. Uh, he's a solo artist who has a backing band, and we played with him a lot. He's a really nice guy. And his dad, Jim Murray, is like the biggest party animal I've ever met in my <laughs> life. And he's the coolest dude. And he's just like going harder than anyone. And I always try to get him to come back and hang out with us after shows, but he always blows me off. So this is a shout out to Jim and to get your ass over to the band house next time we have a show. We're going to party. <laughs> I love it. I'd like to give a shout out to the bands that are going to be on our release show in January. Um, we have Wives, who's like a kick-ass rock band, uh, Sunset Voodoo, Jane in the Jungle, and Adero. A bunch of bands who are working really hard and releasing music all the time. So, I also want to give a shout-out to Mike Bullenbach for producing our record, and Colby did a great job, and uh, JB for being the drum tech. The kit sounded amazing. Uh, Quinn Murphy at Hamster Labs for doing our art. And uh, Ray Squared, Rachel Smith is doing our pictures. So, yeah, like we couldn't do it without the fans and these people who make it possible. So, thank you. A lot of people come together to make something happen. Love yeah. it. Uh, next thing, obviously, anything you guys want to promote, websites, projects. And the big show is January 20th at Crescent Ballroom. And that'll be the first day that you're able to purchase all of the Oasis Unknown you know, CDs and merch. So, come out and celebrate the release of that with us. We'll have tickets. Are you guys playing the whole album there? Or, you know, yeah, I think we're going to play it front to back. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to a friend's website. They opened up a restaurant recently. What's the name of that website, Louis? McBaby's Shrimp and Gup. Yeah, McBaby's Shrimp and Gup. Search that on Google and it should be the first 
the first result that comes up and it's I mean a new if, seafood restaurant. it's a new seafood restaurant with a bunch of ex exquisite options and it's a little pricey but if you want to really impress that girl at work give her an invite intrigues right. <laughs> and then the website's the sink or swim band yeah, the, the sink or swim.com the sink or swim.com all right excellent you guys can check it on Facebook Instagram Twitter you guys are everywhere right yeah we're all over um, and yeah so all the new music will drop on Spotify and iTunes January 20th as well Fantastic. Last thing I'd like to ask, if you ran into somebody who was going to try and go down this path, you know, first day of it, what one piece of advice would you each want to give them? Just do it. That's it. Yeah, I'd, I'd honestly say the exact same thing. Just go for it. Balls to the wall. Write music. Never stop creating. Yeah, like, don't... I, I remember seeing a quote. It was like, don't tell me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. And, like, it's literally that simple. Like, there's a lot of kids who talk about, like, their bands and what they're doing. And, like, you don't see any shows pop up. You don't see new songs drop. And just literally just go do it. Like, take the time. If you actually care, you will be doing it. And it's that simple in my mind. Just do it. Never stop creating. Don't tell me what you're doing. Show me what you're doing. That's your next three bumper stickers right there, guys. <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. fantastic. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Mr. Machete. <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.